Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 134 on Malawi. The capital of this country is Lilongwe. So the name Malawi, to explain it, is believed to have derived from the Chewa or Chichewa word Chirunga or Chiriwawa. This means flaming water or glittering water, referring to the way Lake Malawi sparkles in the sunlight. The lake is known for its shimmering surface and the name choice symbolized the importance of the lake to the nation. There's another explanation that I will get into as we talk about some of the early history, so I won't say that yet. Malawi is often referred to as the warm heart of Africa because of the friendliness and warmth of its people. Visitors often find Malawians to be incredibly welcoming and hospitable, despite the different circumstances that the Malawians have lived through. Malawi is also home to Lake Malawi, which is the third largest lake in Africa and the ninth largest in the world by area. It is sometimes called Calendar Lake because it's approximately 365 miles long and 52 miles wide, which is an interesting little quinky dink right there. Despite some very tumultuous times in the 1900s, Malawi still holds on to the fact that it is only one of the very few African nations to never experience a coup or civil war since independence. So with all that being said, I don't want to dilly-dally anymore, as I like to say, and I want to get right into this history because we've got a lot to kind of sort through with Malawi because it's just a history that's been misunderstood. Now, I will say there isn't a lot of history recorded for some major parts of this history, but we will do the best we can with what we've got, and we'll try and fill the gaps with some facts as well. So with that being said, I'm just going to wrap this up and say thank you guys so much for being here. And one more time, this is Young History. My name is Rich Karolinski, and this is Malawi. You guys enjoy. Our origins begin at least 50,000 years ago. Although known fossil human remains of early humans came from around 800 to 200 BC, it seems that there was stuff going on as far back as 50,000 years ago due to different tools and bone structures that we can see. And these prehistoric forebearers have connections to the San people of southern Africa and were probably ancestral to the Twa and Fulani people that lived in this area and the Twa that lived in this land very specifically. So the Twa Pygmy actually became a prominent people group, and they left cave paintings to tell their hunting practices to their future generations, and this was all around 4,000, excuse me, this was all around 3,000 to 2,000 BC. All that stuff with the Twa people. Then there is a huge gap in history because there's no writing outside of the cave paintings for a very long time. So then we jump to the Bantu migration, which are a larger, more warrior-like people that came from Northwest Africa and moved their way down through Central Africa into South Africa, all of that. They arrived around 400 CE, and they were much more formidable warriors on top of the fact that they were just usually larger by structure and taller people. So they ended up pushing the Twa out or dominated the ones that remained. Oral traditions were the way historians recorded history for the Bantu, and because of that, there's little to no surviving information on how this reign went for about nine centuries. But we do know that they established some pastoralism practices, used the Twa people as tributaries, and remained in this land for hundreds and hundreds of years after arriving in it. But we have some official writing right around 1480 CE, because that is when the Moravi Empire was established. It lasted from 1480 until 1891. It is believed to be the name basis for Malawi. That's the other explanation I was going to say is because Moravi is so similar to Malawi that people believe that there was a 
connection to that being the name of the country once the country eventually gets independence because this was such a prominent empire of people that made up the demographics of Malawi as an independent state, so people believe that the name could have been pulled from this as well. The specific Bantu group that formed the empire were called the Chewa. They became the majority of the empire and are a majority of Malawi today. They traded with the Jumbe people of the Swahili coast, which helped create a connection to Islam that lasts to this day. And the thing with that is the main reason that the Jumbe had this Arab connection was because they inherited Islam from Omanis that came to trade all across the Swahili coast, and that was where Arabic blended with Bantu languages to create Swahili. So with the swapping of languages and cultures, there was that huge influence that came from Islam, and presently Islam is the country's second most popular religion, despite being introduced over 400 years ago. The Moravi Empire was focused on agricultural exports and production above anything else because it was these Chewa people that established the really long-lasting agricultural systems in Malawi. And it was also at the time of this empire that the writing tradition started here and started to replace the oral tradition of the earlier Bantu people that made up Malawi. The Moravi Empire was ran in a hierarchical chief system with with village heads answering to sub-chiefs, who made reports back to the senior chiefs. Senior chiefs represented the hands of the paramount chiefs that were the largest, most powerful people in the empire. A huge part of this empire was the slave trade, and this was most prominent from 1790 to the mid-1800s because the demand for slave labor across the Indian Ocean increased rapidly. Because of this, the Ngoni and Yao people groups invaded the area of Moravi between 1830 and 1860. They did this to kidnap and sell people into the Indian Ocean slave trade. And the Ngoni were led by Zwangendaba, who conducted a series of military campaigns in the mid-1800s. And this brought them into direct conflict with the various indigenous groups, including the Yao. This started the wars between the Ngoni and the Yao, and these conflicts led to the displacement of many communities, but it was mostly the Yao people who were forced to flee their homes and escape the violence and move away. Over time, the Ngoni settled in different parts of Malawi, and they established their own chiefdoms nationwide. The Yao became a smaller population and settled in the other areas of what eventually became Malawi. And just after all this was happening, the famous Scottish explorer and missionary, David Livingston, traveled to the area in the 1860s. He came to scout it out for the British and to introduce Christianity above all else. Missionaries from the Roman Catholic Church and Dutch Reformed Church also came in the, in the following decades. Livingston was also a huge opponent of slavery. He advocated against it nationwide and tried to convince the local government that the practice of it was evil. This was already at a point when Britain had outlawed the slave trade, but slavery was still being used around the world, and this is a thing I very much like to mention next. It's a thing I learned recently in some of my African history classes, is that despite slavery and slave trade ending internationally in international waters and all that, when the shift to colonialism happens, which is right around this time, 1860, 70, 80, Berlin Conference and all that, there is a huge increase in slavery in Africa because now there's no longer this thing where you're taking people from here to go work in the new world. Africa is the place that's being taken over in the scramble for Africa. So all these European powers are, no pun intended, scrambling to carve up the entire continent and take what they can. They're doing this for resources and for control. And the way they extract these resources is by not paying workers a living wage to do it or doing it themselves, but by doing the best they can to get free, cheap labor to increase profits and profit margins. And therefore, they establish a new form of slavery, even though the reason that 
Europeans justified colonizing Africa was to end the Arab slave trade because they said that slavery was an issue happening here and that they could be the ones to stop it. But then they would go to places like Congo and West Africa and, of course, down here as well in South Central Africa and establish different systems where people were forced to do labor as part of their duty to the new country, to the new colony. And, of course, this was never something thrust upon the white people, the Europeans. It was all Native Africans that were forced to work, forced to toil away on the land. And it was usually either for free or for something very menial like cheap housing or access to food. It was very abusive, very evil. It's slavery with extra steps. And it was a practice that went on pretty much throughout all of the colonial period, which is a thing you need to remember whenever there's like, oh, slavery ended in the 1800s, you know, across all the big nations. Like, yes, it did, but in Africa it ends up increasing because of the fact that there's no longer the slave trade. There's just resource harvesting through colonialism, and that needs to be seen as slavery as well. So, sorry for my rant, but bouncing back to Livingston, he was a very big opponent of slavery, and because of that, Blantyre City was established by Scottish missionaries in order to battle against slavery, and it was named after the city David Livingston was born in back in Scotland. And he did pass away in the 1870s, but his influence on the land cannot be denied, and he still inspired a lot of people to battle slavery and spread Christianity. The British eventually formed the protectorate over the region and called it Nyasa land, which was named for its proximity to Lake Nyasa at the time. Nyasa land was established in 1891 as British Central Africa, and the name Nyasa land was officially adopted in 1907. It was filled with resistance as the Chewa and Yao people aligned their beliefs to challenge the British rule as often as they could. This also saw Christianity spread across the nation much more successfully. Christianity became the main religion and remains so to this day, and a big reason for this was that the British educational system was pushed into the land, and part of that was a lot of harping on Christianity being part of daily life, and that's why today it's the biggest religion. It's about 80% of the people believe this. It's very, very significant. On top of this, the nation was advanced technologically as industrialization occurred, railroads and roads were built, and different connections to new factory systems were put in the country. Between 1951 and 1953, the colonial government decided to join the colonies of southern and northern Rhodesia, with Nyasa land to form the Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasa land. This was done against a lot of opposition between the African inhabitants because they were very adamantly against this. They saw the different clashes with people groups coming. They didn't believe that this system could work because of all the different cultures that would be under this one roof now that, you know, you're calling the countries that are Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Malawi today. Grouping them all into one was just dangerous. And the African people saw this and warned the British and everyone that this should not happen, but nonetheless it happened because it made things easier to control for Britain, but that would not last long. So it is during the interwar period between the Great World Wars that nationalism rose heavily across the region, and most specifically after the Second World War, nationalism really, really blew up here, and this came with a desire to be independent. So one of the most important figures in this was Hastings Kamuzu Banda. He led the independence movement. He was a Nyasaland national that had left the country to study medicine abroad. When he went abroad, he saw the way the systems work and wanted that freedom for his own country. He returned in the 50s with the intent to change the nation forever. The Malawi Congress Party, MCP, was established as the first political party of Malawi, with Banda as a figurehead. The Federation of Rhodesia and Nyasaland lasted until 1963, where it was dissolved. Independence was officially achieved in 1964. The name Malawi was adopted, and the nation joined the Commonwealth of Nations in July of that year. 
Bonda became the first president in 1966, and he held power for 30 years. The Bonda presidency started with a bang when the MCP was named the sole entity of the now one-party state of Malawi. Bonda was great for long-term stability and infrastructure development. Bonda's government then improved the transport and communication systems, especially the road and railway networks, and there was also a huge emphasis on cash crop production and food security. But many issues arose in the country when the Agricultural Development and Marketing Corporation, ADMARC, created a monopoly on produce and fertilizer. This made the cost of farmers' produce seem to be too expensive, and this drove a lot of farmers to shut down and local businesses to go under due to the price gouging the government was doing. In 1971, the currency was switched from the Malawi Kwacha to stabilize the economy. This is a currency minted in Wales in the United Kingdom. In 1980, Malawi joined the Southern African Development Coordination Conference, later the Southern African Development Community, which was a union of black majority-ruled countries near minority-led South Africa, with created with the desire to reduce their dependency on South Africa because of its apartheid history and the fact that more autonomy was just always going to be better in their eyes, and in everyone's eyes. But despite all these things, Banda was much more evil than good. He ordered the death of thousands that challenged his presidency and held a very Stalinist regime. He used different government powers to have people exiled, arrested, and killed. He paid spies and secret police to look through the nation to invade people's privacy, and anyone who was seen as not a strong ally of him was seen as an enemy and sometimes faced these brutal punishments like exile and sometimes death. In 1993, citizens of Malawi voted to become a multi-party state to challenge the Banda-led MCP. The Alliance for Democracy, AFORD, which was based in northern Malawi, and the United Democratic Front, UDF, which was based in the south, were established the same year. Banda was widely challenged. Malawi citizens came together to support Bakili Maluzi, who challenged Banda in the presidential race in 1994. Malusi won this election. The Malusi presidency was led by quick reforms to help the nation. He created the 1995 constitution and legalized more political parties, emphasized free speech, and expanded doctrines of democracy. Due to his early successes, Malusi was re-elected in 1999. In 2001, a severe food shortage hit the nation, and by the end of the year, a full famine was declared. Unfortunately, much international aid was slow to arrive to the country or was withheld entirely because of the belief that the government was mismanaged by the leader and that corruption was ripe throughout the country. The foreign powers also cited that this mismanagement and corruption is what led to the food shortage, so that means aid going towards this problem should have been solved by the government. And specifically, the accusations were that government officials were accused of selling grain from the country's reserves as a profit to themselves prior to the onset of the famine that killed thousands of people. Malusi attempted to change the constitution to extend his presidency past the two-term limit, but he had to step down in 2004 because of all the issues that came under his presidency, and despite all the things I mentioned before, foreign aid did come into the land to help the people get food and help end the famine, but of course this came at a cost, and those costs are still being felt today, which we'll get into soon. So, after Malusi stepped down, his successor was Bingu Wa Mutharika. He became president in 04. Mutharika dramatically reduced the number of ministerial positions in the cabinet and initiated an investigation of several prominent UDF party officials who were accused of corruption. This led to several political arrests. This was part of his campaign promise to drive out corruption in the country. His challenge to corruption helped the nation earn foreign aid back. His presidency put the country on a good path, but by this point, the nation was already in much more trouble. The AIDS and HIV crisis hit Malawi really hard. 
HIV prevalence among adults in Malawi was around 14 to 15 percent of the entire population. Around 80,000 people died each year between 2004 and 2006 due to AIDS. Mutharike tried his damnedest to solve the wide issues of the nation, which helped him win re-election in 2009. The progress that Malawi experienced under Mutharike began to erode during his second term. The progress that Malawi experienced under Mutharika began to erode during his second term, as his rule grew increasingly autocratic and the country faced more economic challenges. These challenges included a reduction in foreign aid, price of goods dropping down, and trade slowing down, so in all areas the economy was slowing down. Nationwide protests fueled by discontent with the country's political and economic situation were held on July 20, 2011. The army dealt with this harshly. 19 of the protesters were killed and hundreds more were wounded. Mutharike died from a heart attack in mid-2012. And also around the same time during that Mutharike presidency, around 2007, a Malawian man named William Kamkwamba wanted to change his community. He wanted to bring electricity to his village, but it was unaffordable. So he spent every day for a few years studying electronics and architecture to learn how to build a wind turbine. He built one in 2007 to power his home. He eventually became famous for this and gained huge notoriety. He became an author and a speaker and then went on to create many more turbines for small communities all across Malawi. And he's one of those big representations of Malawi being a very innovative country and the people in it being very resourceful. Despite the struggle, there's a lot of inventors that come out of Malawi and, and Kamkwamba is one of them. So bouncing back into some political things, Joyce Banda was the president under Mutharaki. She was actually dismissed from the political party, the Democratic People's Party, due to the clashes with Mutharaki over his decisions as president. So she became president by law as going from vice president to president between 2012 and 2014. Banda moved quickly to counter the policies of Mutharika's administration. During her first few months in office, she restored diplomatic relations with Britain, which had been strained heavily under Mutharike due to the political corruption. And then Banda was supported by the International Monetary Fund in her decision to devalue the currency of the nation. This decision caused increased inflation for a time, but resulted in two years of double the economic growth. So for a time, she wasn't supported internally for her economic decisions, but internationally, they all saw that this was a good move, and eventually it paid dividends when this two years of economic growth happened. The 2014 election was ripe with abnormalities, but was eventually cleared as fair in the eyes of the Malawi Electoral Commission. The election saw Peter Mutharake, the brother of the former president, win the presidential seat. His presidency was very up and down because he had to deal with a lot of instability and accusations of corruption because back when his brother was president, there was already a lot of accusation that he was being groomed to be the next president, even though the law doesn't technically allow for family members to do that. But nonetheless, he still became president, and his first term wasn't seen as that successful because he just tried to stabilize the country, but everything he did was very slow-moving due to the corruption of the government and the political instability that was happening. And that leads us to the 2020 election. This election first declared Mutharike the winner, but the internal and international communities beckoned for an investigation. The investigation showed that there was a massive amount of irregularities in this election, and that correction fluid was used on certain ballots. The election was set to reoccur within a few months. The new election saw Lazarus Chakwera win with over 50% of the vote. The Chakwera presidency, Chakwera's election victory was historic, as it marked the first time in Malawi's independent history that an opposition candidate defeated an incumbent president through the ballot box. Chakwera's presidency started off its campaign against corruption. Most notably, he oversaw the establishment of a new anti-corruption bureau in Malawi. Chakwera's government also 
emphasized the importance of upholding human rights and the rule of law. He also tried to address the issues with police brutality, which have been present in the country for a few years and have had led to wider abuses of civilians' rights. Just a few days ago, Chiquera actually banned all foreign trips by government officials to extend his efforts on limiting corruption. He believed that foreign trips are only taken by government officials who have something to hide as all these investigations go on into corruption. These are the similar investigations that went on under Joyce Banda and the older Mutariques presidency, which led to a lot of political arrest. So he's really cracking down, and he believes if you're fleeing the country right now, it's fleeing. You're not going on some trip. You are trying to escape justice. And with all that being said, that gets us to the present, where the nation is very much struggling with poverty and corruption. Both of them are very deep issues. The country is currently 20% impoverished. Of course, corruption has still been a major issue because every election is filled with falsity accusations and needs a full investigation to be cleared as a good election. The nation is held up only by foreign aid and is struggling to advance in any way. But that doesn't change the fact that Malawi is stunning and the people here are really trying to figure all this out. Their location next to their gorgeous Lake Malawi defines their culture as they've been people that have been connected to the lake despite being landlocked in the eyes of you know greater geography. And on top of this, Malawians are a resistant people. They have seen the deepest struggles that you can find, from abuses under empires to slavery to all those things. So there is no doubt that they will persevere through the tough times in their country, and with hope it'll be sooner rather than later that they get to enjoy some of the best parts of independence without the struggles that come with it. And at the end of these things, I always like to do a little takeaway our mindset, because that is the end of our history. And with Malawi, it's going to be just keep shifting through and looking for a solution. I say that with Malawi because, you know, you could look back at their innovative past. You could look specifically at William Kumkwamba and people like that who literally from nothing learned how to solve a huge issue that was happening to their country and happening to them. With him, it was we don't have electricity, and that comes with so many other issues. So he literally just created electricity, studied and learned and busted his ass to become someone who knows how to build wind turbines and ended up powering his community and then eventually other communities in Malawi. And now he's very successful financially, he's very well known, and he's changed the future of his family and his community forever. Stories like this are common in Malawi. These people have continuously tried to adapt to the changing times and are very innovative. They've created things, they've created solutions from literally scratch, much like Kamkwamba did. So with that being said, I say you can be like Malawi. If you are in any situation, no matter how bad and severe it is or how light the problem is, it's a problem nonetheless. There is a way out. There's a solution. There's an innovative way to get out of it. Maybe you've tried a bunch of things that your friends have told you and it hasn't worked. That simply means you just need to come up with something new. In some people's cases, it's learning how to build wind turbines and powering whole communities. For you, that could be changing a habit you have, cutting someone out of your life, whatever it may be. Either way, whatever the problem is in your life has a solution. It's not guaranteed to come quickly. It's not guaranteed to be found easily. But if you keep looking and keep shifting for the solution, it's going to come. You're going to find a way to solve your problem if you keep looking for it and keep trying new things. Because as long as you're still breathing and you're healthy and you're blessed enough to have those things, you can solve whatever your other issues are, no matter how deeply internal and emotional they are, or if they are something to do with finances or something physical. So you can figure this out just like Malawians have, just like William Kumkwamba did, just like hundreds of Malawians have, just like Joyce Banda did as president, all these different things. You can become great, you can become free, you can become very successful no matter what your situation is if you just keep trying to solve your problems. And with that being said, that gets to the very end where after all that history, I just want to wrap it up for you guys and say thank you so much for being here. Malawi is a very interesting country and a very interesting place of the world. And despite its you know weird 
kind of landlocked status. It's done so much for trade in the area. It's done so much for development. And the people here represent so much strength and so much pride. And I really do hope that things get better for them. But now that you guys have listened, you can be a part of the solution. You could help contribute. You could help be a part of the better narrative around this country and the people within it. So, so with that being said, I just want to say, I hope you guys enjoyed. And one more time, my name is Rich Karolinski. This is Young History, and that was Malawi. You guys have a great one, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you.